Update on FBI Mar-a-Lago raid. Find out how the media hypnotizes us. And Walmart is going after our kids. It's all on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 294 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Thursday, December 1st, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, I want to start out with how the media hypnotizes us. And we have a very recent example this guy is Sam Bankman-Fried, who until just a few weeks ago was the uh, multi-billionaire CEO of FTX, the cryptocurrency firm. Remember that? Remember him? We've reported on him. The, uh, the mainstream media has been, been reporting on him. Well, he did an interview with George Step on All of Us for ABC, Good Morning America. And you may remember George, Steffi Stephanopoulos, used to be a member of the uh, Bill Clinton team. When Bill Clinton was running for president in 1992, there was a documentary called The, the War Room. And Stephanopoulos and James Carville and Paul Begala and maybe a couple of others were kind of like uh, Bill Clinton's inner circle, his kitchen cabinet, if you will. They were the people given the task of making sure he got elected president. And then uh, Stephanopoulos became Bill Clinton's press secretary and then eventually decided, you know what, I'm going to cash in. I'm going to leave the White House and go to work for ABC News and make a lot of money over there. And so that's what Stephanopoulos has been up to all these years. Now, he is still a partisan Democrat, still a member of the Clinton team, but he masquerades as a journalist. And one of the things I never understood, I guess until I started listening to Rush Limbaugh, was how to see through the con job, how to see through the acting. 
And people who get their news from the mainstream media are not necessarily liberal. They may be conservative, but a lot of times they don't see through it. You know? A lot of times they really don't see through it. Now, I'm going to play you, and, and you know, I'll jump in with, with comments. But this guy, this Sam Bankman-Fried guy, they call him SBF. SBF, CEO of FTX, is still in the Bahamas, still hasn't been indicted, and they're saying against his lawyer's advice, he decided he wanted to do interviews. He also did one with Andrew Ross Sorkin of CNBC slash New York Times, but that thing ran over an hour, and it just was really slow. Uh, there was a period at the end after you know making the case that this guy had ripped millions of people off, had ripped people off for billions of dollars. Andrew Ross Sorkin asked his uh, his in-studio audience, to applaud the shyster. And they did. They did. Applaud this guy who I guess makes uh, Bernie Madoff look like a choir boy. On freaking believable. But again, I guess the idea was, well, you know, he made some mistakes, but... Uh, He's really one of us. Yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah, he's really one of us. Made some mistakes, but he's really one of us. All right, so George Step on All of Us interviewing Sam Bankman-Fried, who was, until a few weeks ago, the multi-billionaire CEO of FTX. The interview was on Good Morning America. I believe it was Thursday morning, uh, December 1st, and so uh, it began something like this. A lot of people look at you and see Bernie Madoff. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's who I am at, at all, but I understand why they're saying that. People lost money, and people lost a lot of money. And, I mean, at the end of the day, look, there's a question of what happened and why and who did what. Um, what caused the, the meltdown, and I think that is reads very differently. Right when you when you look at the classic Bernie Madoff story, there was no real business there. The whole thing, as I understand it, I think was was just one one big Ponzi scheme. Yeah, but see, that's why you're being compared with him because there was no real business with you guys either. It was just a uh money laundering money out of Ukraine back to mostly Democrat politicians. And people not realizing that the money they were investing, they were never going to get back. And there was never any plan for them to get back. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I, am I doing... George Stephanopoulos' job, 
Yeah, I am because he's not going to make any of those points. He no, no, he's he's masquerading as a journalist. Don't get me wrong. George Step on all of us wants you to think that he is a hard hitting journalist, and he's asking tough questions of this guy. But I'm telling you, the points he should be making, the questions he should be asking, which he will not. There will be no discussion here of money laundering through Ukraine. There will be no discussion here of the millions of dollars that went to Washington politicians, both parties, but mostly Democrats. No discussion whatsoever. In this almost 10-minute interview, Ukraine will not come up. Money laundering contributions to political candidates will not come up. But the people who watch Good Morning America will be impressed. They'll think, well, gee, you know, this Stephanopoulos, he he really went after this guy. He asked him some tough questions. Well, that's certainly the impression he's trying to create. But that's not what he's doing. Here's more. Right. FTX, that was a real business. He was at the top of the cryptocurrency world. 30-year-old billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried. You just need FTX. Tom Brady, by the way. It's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. I don't know who that was. I didn't recognize him. Eh, I don't think so. Larry David, they just threw that in. Super Bowl ads. Yep. Naming yep. stadiums. Crypto Steph Curry. Stadium. Giselle Bunchen. We did a lot of things to try to, uh, to try and bolster our reputation, to try and you know help our brand. But in the early morning hours of November 11th, it all came to an end. When FTX filed for bankruptcy and Bankman Fried stepped down as CEO amid reports of FTX customer funds being used to pay Alameda Research creditors. This confirmed by former Alameda CEO Carolyn Ellison during an early November video meeting with employees. Alameda, the crypto trading firm also founded by Bankman Fried. ABC News reached out to Carolyn Ellison for comment, but has not heard back. One of the reasons FTX went bankrupt is because... FTX deposits yep. were used to pay Alameda's creditors. Carolyn Ellison said you knew about that. Is that true? You know, best I can tell, uh, Alameda did have a big position open uh, on FTX. Um, that position, uh, I think, was, you know, very over collateralized. By the way, have you seen any of the videos of this Carolyn Ellison person who apparently was... Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's girlfriend. Very unusual. She comes off like a teenage valley girl. Okay? She does not look come off like a person who should be the CEO of anything. And um, it's scary that people trusted her with their money. Okay, this says she would be like 28 years old. Now, she came off like she's about 15, 16. Man, it was nuts. Anyway, here's more. Uh, a year ago, there is a, a total market. Well, let me back it up a little bit. 
I, I didn't realize I was stopping them in the middle of a sentence. You know, very over collateralized uh, a year ago. You know, best I can tell, uh, Alameda did have a big position open uh, on FTX. Um, that position, uh, I think, was, you know, very over collateralized uh, a year ago. There is a, a total market collapse and, you know, specifically a large correlated collapse in its assets, you know, over the last month and to some extent over the last year that I, uh, you know, threatened that position quite a bit. And I think that's, you know, as best I understand, a lot of what happened there. I, I am no cryptocurrency expert. I'm no finance expert, yep. but I don't think you answered my question. I always ask, yep. did you know that FTX deposits were used to pay off Alameda creditors? Now, the room noise gets really loud there because the Sam Bankman-Free guy is whispering to himself the words that Stephanopoulos just asked him. So I think we're seeing in real time certainly a lot of stress and anxiety and perhaps some mental illness. I mean, if you see the video, it's just really, really weird. And it's one thing for people who, uh, uh, you know, when they're reading a book or a paper or a magazine or whatever, to, to mouth the words to read out loud. That's one thing. Some people do that, and, and bless their hearts, that's just kind of how they are. But Sam Bankman-Fried here is not reading anything. He's repeating back the words that Stephanopoulos just asked him in a very light whisper. And it was just one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Uh... I don't know of FTX deposits being used to pay off Alameda creditors. Are you, I, uh, which, which creditors are you referring to? Carolyn Ellison said that you all knew that these funds were used, were put into Alameda. They were the funds owned by your depositors. So I can't speak for who knew what. You know, a lot of the customers on FTX did have, you know, borrowers either, you know, in dollars or Bitcoin or, or euros. But as you know, the FTX terms of service yep. tell the people who signed up, none of the digital assets in your account are the property of or shall be or may be loaned to FTX trading. But you're saying that happened. My understanding is a few things happened. The first is there is a margin trading facility on FTX by which users can lend out funds by which other users borrow funds. And so there are explicit cases where there is, you know, margin extend where there is borrow lending. If that sounds different than what he's asking about. But anyway, here's more. Alameda is borrowing the money that belongs yep. to FTX depositors. That's a bright red line, isn't it? There are a lot of cases where that's actually explicitly part of the programs and that are but happening. Not, not here. Here it says that the digital assets may not be loaned to FTX trading. They can't be loaned out. Do you hear that? He's whispering it to himself. Can't be loaned out. This guy's got some issues here. I... There existed a borrow lending facility on FTX, and, and I think that's probably covered, I, I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere else in the terms of service. But they'd have to approve of that. They're saying they didn't approve of it here. They're saying you approved of it. If you rewind 
to you know the beginning of FTX, um, where you know some customers were you know. Uh, I think in line with sort of existing relationships that, that they've had, at least in some cases, wiring money straight to Alameda Research in order to trade on FTX. So you do know and you did know that FTX deposits were being funneled to Alameda. So I was vaguely aware that that was how some wires were being sent in the first place. Um, Didn't that set off alarm bells in your head? Obviously not. He never thought this house of cards was going to fall in on itself. You know, it was a row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. He never thought he'd have to pay the piper. And he might still not. Homeboy should be in jail right now. Should have been indicted. Federal charges. But I think that he greased the right palms. I would not be surprised if he's not indicted on anything. Shouldn't that have set off alarm bells in your head? So there are a lot of people who are involved in that process. And look, I really deeply wish that I had taken like a lot more responsibility for understanding what the details were of what was going on there. I knew that legal was involved. I knew that other groups at the company were involved, that, you know, there were agreements drafted up. But you're ultimately responsible. I mean, ultimately, absolutely. Like, I, look, I should have been on top of this, and I feel really, really bad and regretful that I wasn't. And Okay, well, then that ought to settle it, then. People don't need the millions back you stole. A lot of people got hurt, and that, that's on me. Here's what Mark Cuban has to say about that. Yep. He said, if I were him, I'd be afraid of going to jail for a long time. At the end of the day, you know, it's not my call what happens, and uh, the world will judge me as it will. Are you worried about going to jail? There are a lot of things that are worrying me right now. Um, And... You know, as best as possible, I'm trying to focus on what I can do going forward to be helpful and, you know, let whatever, you know, regulatory and legal processes are happening play out as they will. I do want to move on, but just just finally on yep. this. This is really a yes or no question. Yeah. Carolyn Ellison says you knew that FTX funds were being funneled to Alameda. Did you know that? I knew that there is an open margin position there and that that involved. No, but that's all what I'm bar. asking. <laughs> if she. He just doesn't want to answer the question. Stephanopoulos keeps on asking over and over again. He's in court and you're in court and she's under oath and you're under oath. And you're asked, did you know that these funds were being funneled to Alameda? What is your answer? I did not know that there is any improper uh, use of customer funds. You also took out a $1 billion loan. What was that for? One billion dollar loan. Well, which you know, which one of us, you know, in a moment of quiet contemplation, can't look back and go, "Oh, well, yeah, there was that time I I took out the one billion dollar loan back in back in twenty eleven, you know, after the five hundred million dollar loan back in ninety seven. I mean, you know, uh, those of us in, in glass houses. I mean, perhaps we shouldn't be, you know, uh, juggling." Uh, concrete blocks in case one of them might, you know, hit a window. But uh, (laughs) good 
grief. But that was generally for reinvesting in the company. I was not for, you know, consumption. I, you know, to my knowledge, I have basically nothing left. And we're supposed to believe that. I'm sorry. Here's more. Um, you know, basically everything I had was invested in the business. I expect I'm going to have nothing at the end of this. I, I think I had $100,000 left in my bank account last I checked. And I, I think I have, you know, uh, one credit card working with that right now. Earlier this summer, you thought you had, what, $32 billion? Probably 20 but uh, a whole lot more than I do now. I can't imagine what it feels like to go from $20 billion to $100,000. Yeah. I can't imagine... That you're just accepting his word. You notice this? This is how they brainwash you. This is how they brainwash you. If Stephanopoulos was interviewing a conservative, he would be challenging everything his guest said everything. So why isn't he challenging Sam Bankman-Fried? I'll tell you why. Because Stephanopoulos looks at him and, 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 and thinks that he made some mistakes, you know, and I want to find out, I'll keep on asking till he answers, did you know that some of this money was going over to Alameda Research, the, the, uh, the sister company? You know, I'll act like a journalist with that. But as far as you've gone from 32 or 20, well, see, here's the thing. Uh, you know, this summer you were thought to have $32 billion. Sam Bankman-Free says, well, 20. Stephanopoulos, no pushback. Oh, okay, 20 then. Well, well which is it, 32 or 20? And Sam Bankman-Free says, and now I'm down to just $100,000 in the bank. And Stephanopoulos is like, man, I can't imagine what that feels like. Well, why do you just accept his word? Because you're both in the club. And you trust that the overwhelming majority of people who watch your show every morning, Good Morning America, will not think twice about the fact that you take this guy who probably should be in prison for many, many years at his word. Now, if you have the opportunity to interview Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Kevin McCarthy or Jim Jordan or Ted Cruz, just go down the list. You are going to imply that you think each and every one of them is lying to you. Because you got a D by your name and they have R's by their names. But this guy, who you know funneled tens of millions of dollars into the campaign accounts of mostly Democrat politicians, not only are you not going to mention the money laundering, but you're going to act like it would be inconceivable not to just take this guy's word for where he stands right now financially. And that's not journalism. 
Did you notice? That's not journalism. Any more than it was journalism a few years ago when Good Morning America welcomed an 11-year-old boy who's a drag queen, and Michael Strahan was clapping and cheering like a trained seal, like this is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with this. This is the state of mainstream media. Now, let's, let's, let's check this out again and notice how Stephanopoulos just accepts this on its face. I don't need any proof. Now, Stephanopoulos' notes say Sam Bankman-Fried was worth $32 billion this summer. SBF says no, no, it's more like $20 billion. Oh, okay, $20 billion. No pushback. And he says, yeah, and now I'm down to about $100,000 in the bank. And Georgie Porgy is like, wow, man, that must be something. I can't imagine going from $20 billion to 100000 well, George, if I had your job, I can't imagine just taking his word that it was only $20 billion, not $32 billion in the summer, and just taking his word for his claim that he only has 100000 left. Why are you accepting that? Again, because you're both in the same club. Check it out. Yes or no question. Yep. Carolyn Ellison says you knew that FTX funds were being funneled to Alameda. Did you know that? Wait for it. I knew that there is an open margin position there and that that involved. I know, but that's all I'm asking. (laughs) If she's in court and you're in court and she's under oath and you're under oath and you're asked, did you know that these funds were being funneled to Alameda? What is your answer? I did not know that there is any improper uh, use of customer funds. That's still not answering the question. That's still weasel words. But then we come up to how much were you worth and how much do you have left? You also took out a $1 billion loan. What was that for? That was generally for reinvesting in the company. I was not for, you know, consumption. I, you know, to my knowledge, I have basically nothing left. Um, you know, basically everything I had was invested in the business. I expect I'm going to have nothing at the end of this. I, I think I had $100,000 left in my bank account last I checked. And I, I think I have, you know, uh, one credit card working with that right now. Earlier this summer, you thought you had, what, $32 billion? Probably 20 but... Uh, a whole lot more than I do now. I can't imagine what it feels like to go from $20 billion to $100,000. But what I can imagine is that you're carrying water for this guy. And you're implying to everyone who watches Good Morning America, even though he's ripped off people for tens of millions of dollars, you're implying, trust this man. He's not going to lie to you. You can still trust him. After everything he's done, George Stephanopoulos implies to you, you can still trust Sam Bankman-Fried. He wouldn't lie to you. My research team, my producers told me he was worth $32 million. He said, nope, I was only worth $20 million. Okay, we'll go with that. 
we'll go with that. So, in other words, George Stephanopoulos implying, well, my research team was only off by about 37.5%. Yeah. We'll shave $12 billion off the $32 billion and just believe SBF when he says, no, it was only $20 billion, and now I'm down to 100000 Oh, okay. Well, I'll accept that sight unseen. You don't have to prove to me you only have 100000 left. You could still have a couple of billion left. You could still have $750 million or whatever. But no, no, you say only 100000 so I'm just going to believe it. Because I want everybody watching this TV screen to still trust you, to still believe you. I mean, how do we know that uh, George Stephanopoulos himself didn't get some of that cash? Here's more. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been a really, it's been a really humbling fall in, in a lot of ways. How do you explain the failure? Was it inattention, arrogance, um that's a good question. Was it unethical? Some part of it was just literal distraction. I sh- really should have spent some time each day taking a step back and saying, what are the most important things here, right? And, like, how do I have oversight of those and make sure that I'm not losing track of those? And, frankly, I did a pretty incomplete job at that. I spent a lot less time looking at assets and looking at balances and positions because that's not where revenue came from. And so it... I wasn't seen as a core business driver. Obviously, it was a core risk, and that was a huge mistake of mine to not think more about that. Now you said one of your great it's, talents in a podcast was managing risk. That's right. and well, it's obviously wrong. Well, I, it's, I think that there is something maybe even deeper wrong there, which was I wasn't even trying. Like, I wasn't spending any time or effort trying to manage risk on FTX. Trying, like, and that, that obviously... That's that a stunning admission. What? That's a pretty stunning admission. Wait a minute. Let's, let's back the tape up. Let's hear the stunning admission here. In case you missed it the first time around. And well, it's obviously wrong. Well, I, it's, I think that there is something maybe even deeper wrong there, which was I wasn't even trying. Like, I wasn't spending any time or effort trying to manage risk on FTX. Trying, like, and that, that obviously... That's, that's a stunning admission. What? I wasn't spending any time or effort trying to manage risk on FTX. Stephanopoulos says that's a stunning admission. We, we might actually have a random act for journalism here. That's a pretty stunning admission. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know what to say. Like, what happened happened. And, like, if I had been if I had been spending an hour a day thinking about risk management on FTX, I don't think that would have happened. I think I, I stopped working as hard for a bit. You know, honestly, if I look back on myself, I think I got a little cocky. Maybe more than a little bit. Um, And I think part of me, like, you know, felt like, um, like we'd made it. 
as I said, that was a pretty stunning admission. The whole job of the head of a firm like that is managing risk. Risk, risk. exactly. And he wanted to, he reached out. He Desperately. Wanted to, he went against the, the advice of his lawyers. Uh, he thanked me at the end. We, like I said, we talked for close to two hours, and you saw he didn't flinch no. from the tough questions, but it, even though he had a hard time at times answering them, and, you know, he just wants to speak his mind. The tough questions, George, were questions you didn't ask about money laundering through Ukraine to Democrat political candidates, the Democrat office holders, and to rhinos like Kevin McCarthy, who used the FTX money to fight against conservatives in Republican primaries this year. The tough questions. What a joke. Risk management, huh? By the way, risk management is the identification, evaluation, and prioritization of risks, followed by coordinated and economical application of resources to minimize, monitor, And control the probability or impact of unfortunate events or to maximize the realization of opportunities. Yeah, I don't think uh I don't think Sam Bankman Fried ever did any of that. I don't think he started slipping towards the end. I don't think he ever did any of that. But, you know, that's not something Stephanopoulos is going to ask him. They spent two hours talking and, 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 and the, the nine minutes there or what we got. Okay. All right. Well, that is, that is how the mainstream media hypnotizes people, how they brainwash people. So you you were worth thirty two billion, right? No, more like twenty. Oh, okay, twenty, right? So what are you worth now? I got a hundred thousand left. Boy, that must be something. I can't imagine. And see, what Stephanopoulos and the people that run that program and that network are hoping is it'll be monkey see, monkey do. George Stephanopoulos implicitly trust the word of a man who very well may have swindled billions of dollars. And if you like George Steffi Stephanopoulos and you're used to watching Good Morning America and have been watching it every morning for years, why wouldn't you do the same thing and just trust this guy? Take him at his word. That's how they brainwash you. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't until I started listening to Rush Limbaugh in the early 90s, and he would play a soundbite from the media of some, someone that I thought was very convincing, and then he would just let them have it and go, see, see what they're doing? That was a wondrous thing for me over 30 years ago. 
A wondrous thing for me right now is being allowed by the grace of God to do this podcast day in and day out into our second year now. We appreciate our advertisers for making it possible. Oh, by the way, by the way, coming up, how Walmart is going after our kids and what we can do about it, okay? That's coming up. Anyway, thank you to our advertisers like Mitch Ward over at Red River Your Way. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website, puts you in complete control of your payment options, and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still right here to help you every step of the way if you have any question. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button on it that says Explore Payment Options. Now, clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental United States, redriveryourway.com, and you will be glad you did. All right, now, I got to tell you about America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. It's called Patriot Mobile. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes as well as multi-line users. Now, even though I'm not a veteran or first responder, I got a great deal when I switched from one of the big cell phone carriers to Patriot Mobile. I'm telling you, it's a great way to to save a lot of money. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, also you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. 
Switching is easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Patriot Mobile also has competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. So if you're a conservative-owned business tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, switch to Patriot Mobile Business. You can find out all about it at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-FREEDOM. Again, remember to use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com or 469-FREEDOM. Thank you so much to Glenn Story and the crew at Patriot Mobile for helping make it possible for us to do the Doc Washburn Show day in and day out, now into our second year. All right, Walmart. What's the deal with Walmart? Gillian Richards over the Daily Signal has a new article. Walton Family Funds LGBT Initiatives Opposition to Arkansas Safe Act. Now, depending upon how long you've been paying attention and what part of the country you are in, you might be aware of some of the stuff in the article, but probably not all of it, or you might not be aware of anything in the article. So let's get right into it. Families of four young people identifying as transgender and two doctors represented by the American Civil Liberties Union. What is it uh, Michael Savage used to call the ACLU, the Anti-Christian Luciferian Union? These people testified last month against the Arkansas law banning sex reassignment treatment for minors behind the effort to strike down Arkansas's Save Adolescents from Experimentation, or SAFE Act, is the wealthiest family in the USA, the heirs of Walmart founder Sam Walton's fortune. The Walton Family Foundation issued public statements and signed an amicus brief opposing the SAFE Act. Meanwhile, second- and third-generation members of the Walton family have funneled millions of dollars into statewide LGBTQ initiatives. Alice Walton, daughter of Walmart founder Sam Walton, together with her nephew Tom Walton and his wife Olivia Walton, have all appeared at the forefront of this cause. Now, Alice Walton, that's a familiar name. I think she was in the news a while back, even outside of... uh, Outside of Arkansas, if I recall correctly, let me see. Yeah, here you go. In um, 1998, she hit a gas meter while driving under the influence of alcohol, paid a $925 fine. Yeah, that wasn't that when 
she was pulled over by the state patrolman and she told him, don't you know who I am? Pretty sure. Pretty sure that was when that happened. Yeah. So uh, she wants to uh, tell you guys how uh, to, to bring your children up. The Alice L. Walton Foundation and Olivia and Tom Walton, through the Walton Family Foundation, launched a $1 million LGBTQ plus advancement fund. By the way, I think I figured out what the plus is for. I'll tell you in a minute. After the Arkansas legislature passed the SAFE Act in June of 2021, the Walton's Fund offered grants to organizations in Arkansas that, quote, provide critical services to the state's LGBTQ plus community, unquote. Olivia and Tom Walton said in a Walton family in a Walton Foundation statement, and I quote, Our state is in a moment of reflection where each of us must send a message of acceptance to the LGBTQ community. Oh, they left the plus off. That says you belong here. It is also a time for action by recognizing LGBTQ Arkansans face growing challenges that need community-driven solutions, unquote. The Waltons selected the nonprofit Arkansas Community Foundation to oversee the fund. The president of the Arkansas Community Foundation, Heather Larkin, said this fund will allow LGBTQ-serving nonprofits in our state to expand their impact on communities and help Arkansans pull together to build a more welcoming and supportive environment for us all. The Waltons Fund has offered grants ranging around $25,000 to $150,000 to LGBTQ programs in Arkansas. These include the Equality Crew, the Northwest Arkansas Equality, the Central Arkansas Pride, and the Transition Closet. The Equality Crew has advertised LGBTQ-themed events featuring drag queen story hours and drag shows for children in Fayetteville, Arkansas. One of these events, a teens-only back-to-school night for LGBTQ-plus youth at the Fayetteville Public Library, was canceled for what Equality Crew said were safety concerns. The Walton Family Foundation and the Walmart Foundation are also leading sponsors of the LGBTQ nonprofit Northwest Arkansas Equality, which sponsors Arkansas's largest gay pride celebration. In the months leading to the Walton's initiative, the Arkansas State Legislature voted to pass the SAFE Act in April 2021. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, a so-called Republican, vetoed the bill on April 6, 2021. That same day, Tom Walton released a statement supporting Hutchinson's veto. 
Tom Walton, who heads the Walton Family Foundation's Home Region Program, said, we are alarmed by the string of policy targeting LGBTQ people in Arkansas. This trend is harmful and sends the wrong message to those willing to invest in our visit to invest in or visit our state. He added, we implore government, business, and community leaders to consider the impact of existing and future policy that limits basic freedom and does not promote inclusiveness in our communities and economy. Oh, okay. So basic freedom is allowing a person with a medical license the basic freedom to mutilate a child to do a double mastectomy on a totally healthy 15-year-old because she's having some gender dysphoria. That's what Tom Walton's talking about. So the state legislature overrode Governor Asa Hutchinson's veto on the same day Tom Walton issued his statement. In July, U.S. District Judge Jay Moody temporarily blocked the SAFE Act from taking effect in response to a lawsuit filed by the ACLU on behalf of four families of transgender-identifying youth and two doctors, the Walton Family Foundation signed an amicus brief with other businesses and nonprofits in support of Moody's preliminary injunction of the law. The Waltons signed a similar amicus brief appealing Moody's decision to the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals this January. Other amici, I hope I'm saying that right, include the Northwest Arkansas Council and the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce, both of which are Walton-funded groups. The amicus brief says many amici employ and serve transgender people and all amici oppose the Arkansas General Assembly's passage of HB 1570 health care ban. Well, it's not a health care ban because mutilating children is not health care. Anyway, which discriminates against transgender people by, among other things, barring health care professionals from providing gender-affirming care to transgender youth. The health care ban will, absent this court's intervention, adversely impact amikis or their members, businesses, employees, and customers. So I got to find out because they keep on putting that word in there. And I, I would feel bad if because, you know, I've been told that A-M-I-C-U-S is amicus, and I've heard a lot of people pronounce it that way. But A-M-I-C-I, I mean, how do you, what do you, how do you pronounce that? Let me see. Got to be a place to. Got to be a place to learn how to pronounce that. How to pronounce it. Here we go. Because I just want to pronounce it right. I, you know, it's taking too long. Amici. Okay. Well, we're, we're going to do it that way. The Amici argue that the SAFE Act will push LGBTQ individuals and their families out of the state. They further argue they will face backlash from consumers and businesses over the SAFE Act, writing, this will inflict substantial harm 
on Amici, Arkansas businesses, and all Arkansans because all benefit from a strong economy. So they couldn't care less. They don't give a rip about children being mutilated. And I'm sick and tired of this. And I'm going to do everything I can to avoid having to ever spend a penny again with Walmart or Sam's Club. Because they stand for evil, unrighteousness, everything we're against. You know, I've been talking about how this world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations like Walmart that stand against everything we believe in. Now, we all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? What can we do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned made-in-America manufacturer SwitchToAmerica.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than share shareholders and corporate executives. We now have over 30 different Patriot influencers influencers on board i'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country we are done with the woke globalist operation against humanity each one of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages we can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned made in america the website, again, is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Switchtoamerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to switchtoamerica.com. When they ask how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn. Switch away from the globalist corporations and switchtoamerica.com. All right, I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. You're having problems with sinuses and allergies. You're experiencing dizziness, vertigo, having problems with your blood sugar, for that matter, psoriasis migraines, well, the Arkansas Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. 
It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs two ounces, so it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it has never come back again. The migraines went away, too, and they never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, blood sugar problems, psoriasis, migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside central Arkansas and it sounds like something might be able to help you, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Now, before I get to the updates, the latest on the uh, unconstitutional, illegal, unprecedented raid on Mar-a-Lago, got some news on that. First, I think, speaking of big, woke corporations, I think it's my duty to play for you a couple of senators grilling the CEO of Kroger just a couple of days ago. Now, why are senators grilling the CEO of Kroger? Well, did you know that Kroger is in the process of trying to merge with Albertsons? Had you heard about that? That's what's up. That's what's going on, and that's why the uh, CEOs of Kroger and Albertsons were in front of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee recently. And Tom Cotton of Arkansas and Josh Hawley of Missouri read these guys a riot act. I mean, it. they weren't fooling around. They weren't kidding. And so we'll we'll play Tom Cotton's back and forth with these CEOs, and then we'll go to Josh Hawley. Here's Tom Cotton. Mr. McMullen, I want to address Kroger's workforce practices and specifically how you accommodate or how you treat requests for accommodation. Let's suppose, hypothetically, that Kroger had a vegan worker with strong ethical beliefs about animal welfare. Um, If she requested to work outside, say, the butcher department and instead in the produce department, would Kroger accommodate that request? Thank thank you, Senator, for the question. And it's one of the nice things about uh, one of our retail stores. There's many different areas. And we routinely have people uh, transferring between departments. Uh, Some of that is just personal 
interest. Uh, some of that is uh, to grow in their own personal career. And if you look at our store directors, 70% of our store directors started out as an hourly associate. So it's easy to accommodate somebody, uh, and that accommodation is really uh, based on uh, their own desires and their own interests. Would you make such accommodations based on their Christian beliefs as well? Uh, we would not get involved in terms of uh, religious uh, beliefs. Okay, the reason I ask is that you recently agreed to pay $180,000 to settle a religious discrimination case in Conway, Arkansas. In that case, two Kroger employees, Brenda Lawson, age 72, and Trudy Rickard, age 57, uh, declined the uh, directive to begin wearing a new store apron with a multicolored heart symbol on it. They, like many other of your employees, felt uncomfortable with the new aprons because they thought the heart resembled a gay pride symbol. Rather than make accommodations, Kroger fired these two employees. One employee simply asked to cover the symbol with a name tag, but Kroger refused even that reasonable accommodation. Are you aware of these terminations, Mr. McMillan? Uh, Senator, I am, I am not. This was not a private lawsuit either by two disgruntled employees, Mr. Mullen. This was brought by the EEOC. So are you not aware when your company is sued for religious discrimination by the United States government? Uh, no, sir, I am not. not. Can you believe this? <laughs> I remember seeing it in the newspaper a couple years ago. Always. Well, I'm disappointed by that. Um, are you aware that, Mr. Mo- or Mr. McMullen, are you aware that Kroger has something called an allyship guide for its employees? Uh, yes, Senator. Okay. Um, in the allyship guide, you direct employees to stop using sir and ma'am because they're not inclusive. Do you expect 72-year-old employees in rural areas of Arkansas to really stop using words like sir and ma'am? If you you look at our allyship guide overall, it's trying to uh, support our associates and going forward and trying to be inclusive for everybody with all different beliefs. And uh, when you look at our associate resource group, uh, our associate resource groups were created several years ago uh, for people with different types of interests. And uh, we think it's incredibly important to be an inclusive opening culture uh, to welcome all associates. If employees in your stores in rural Arkansas refer to other employees or customers or sir as ma'am, do they face disciplinary action? Well, they shouldn't because the guy just said, we're trying to make everybody comfortable. Well, how about the people who want to say sir and ma'am? It doesn't sound like they'd be too comfortable. Uh, I, not that I'm aware of, sir. I would have to ask. Are, um, are, are you still requiring employees to wear the apron with the rainbow heart symbol on it? Yeah. If you the um, if you look at this, uh, we we put in place an apron several years ago because our associates wanted to have a common dress code. Uh, the heart is the symbol of art. The Kroger's fundamental purpose is to feed the human spirit. And uh, no. I think Kroger's fundamental purpose is to make a profit for the shareholders. I'm pretty sure that's what it is.
Uh, part of feeding the human spirit is the heart, and that heart is our fundamental strategy to support our purpose. Uh, the colors were not tied to uh, any specific thing. Well, I'm not sure I believe that because it was introduced during Pride Month as a supposed sign of inclusivity, and a federal judge didn't agree with it either. That's why he rejected your company's motion for summary judgment, and you just paid $180,000 to two employees that you wrongly terminated. By the way, would you like to offer an apology here to Brenda Lawson and Trudy Rickard for the ordeal? they went through hey <laughs> when tom cotton is on he's on i would need to understand more of the details senator thank you okay um so is it the case that you are still requiring all employees without accommodation to wear this apron with the rainbow heart uh if you look at the uh our apron would be required for all associates to wear consistently across the company does it or does it not still include the symbol for which you just paid $180,000 to settle an EEOC lawsuit against your company? Uh, It would include a heart on it, uh, Senator. And having settled that lawsuit, are you now going to grant accommodations to employees who don't wish to display a symbol that they may perceive as not aligned with their moral and Christian views? Uh, Senator, I will uh, thank you for the question. I will need to uh, follow back up with our team with more of the details. If this merger goes through. I mean, that's just weasel words. You're the CEO. You can say, no, they're, they're free not to have the, the gay pride button. But but you're down with the struggle. You're down with the struggle. Okay. All right, Tom. If this merger goes through. Who's going to be making decisions about uniforms in the combined company and whether to grant reasonable accommodations? If you look on, in terms of our fundamental uh, uniform that was put in place, our associate resource groups uh, worked together in terms of designing the uniform, and uh, and we would use the same type of approach on a combined company basis. Okay. Um. You know, this situation reminds me a little bit of the situation big tech companies have found themselves in in recent years. They've come to Washington because they fear regulation from our Democratic friends or action by the Biden administration, and they expect Republicans who are traditionally more supportive of free enterprise to come to their defense. And I've cautioned them for years that if they silence uh, conservatives and center-right uh, voters across the country, if they discriminate against them in their company, they probably shouldn't come and ask Republican senators to carry the water for them whenever our Democratic friends want to regulate them or block their mergers. So I, I've heard a lot, a, lot, a lot of questioning about that today, and I've read a lot about it in the news, um, and I'll say this. I'm sorry that's happening to you. Best of luck. <laughs> Now, look, Senator Cotton and I have had our disagreements, um, but I I certainly like his performance here with the CEO of Kroger. Uh, I can't can't fault him for anything he said to the uh, the CEO of Kroger there. I believe he's he's right on the money. Now, uh, let's go to Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley from right up the road. In Missouri, he had some uh, some questions for the CEOs of Kroger and Albertsons. Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Thanks to the witnesses for being here. Uh, Mr. McMullen, Mr. Shankaran, let me start with you. In the course of preparing for this hearing, I came across a slide deck that was apparently prepared by both of your companies together. I've got it here. 
one of on one of the slides you talk about your complementary ESG strategies and you put this forward as a as a reason to move forward with the merger now ESG refers to environmental social and governance considerations and you talk here about your shared commitment to workforce diversity, equity, and inclusion. So let's just talk about that for a second, if we could. Maybe, let's start with you, Mr. McMullen. Give me your sense of, of what you mean by workforce inclusion. Does, does that include religious commitments? Are those relevant to workforce inclusion? Yeah, when you look at our overall ESG commitments, obviously uh, the amount of uh, impact that we have from an energy usage standpoint is incredibly important. To have a company that's inclusive in terms of from diversity, equity, inclusion, that means including everybody. Uh, uh, people are uh, promoted and rewarded based on their success and uh, ability to be a leader uh, in the organization and contribute to the organization. And we we do not make judgments on anybody in terms of any of their personal beliefs uh, and do not think that's appropriate either. So that includes people of faith, I think, is what you're saying. It includes everything. So have, has your company ever fired an employee or disciplined an employee for their religious beliefs? Um, not that I'm aware of. Well, that's interesting because Senator Cotton just read at, at some length into the record an EEOC lawsuit. That's a government lawsuit, which your company just settled after an adverse ruling by a federal district court. Yeah, he did. I mean, were you not paying attention to the conversation you were part of? Mr. Kroger, CEO McMullen. In which you apparently took disciplinary action to the extent of firing employees in Arkansas based on their religious beliefs. Do you think that's workplace inclusion? Well, as I told Senator Cotton, I I personally am not aware of the details of that. How is that possible? You're being sued by the federal government. You've settled a suit and you don't know about it? Uh, No, I do not always know about it. That's that's extraordinary. Do Do your... Shareholders know about that. I mean, what else do you not know about? What about you, Mr. Shankaran? Uh, has your company ever fired someone like Mr. McMullins has based on their religious beliefs? Senator, nothing that I know of. Um, when we think about our diversity and inclusion agenda, Senator, we represent. We work in communities. In, we're in Chicago. We're in Alaska. We're in Montana. We're in D.C. And we we make sure that our stores represent the communities that we support, and we recruit from the communities to serve the. Com- Communities. That's the fundamental principle of our diversity and inclusion effort. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll just go with that. We'll just go with that. Ridiculous. Oh, you know, I had something earlier about how the media brainwashes you, right? How they hypnotize us. Well, it's not just the mainstream media. I don't know. Is, is, is Fox News Channel mainstream now? Ainsley Earhart. Talking to former Vice President Mike Pence on the uh, the Faulkner Focus, no, or, or the Outnumbered show, I guess. I get them confused because here's Faulkner, who, who, who's really good at it. She's the the host of both shows back-to-back, but Ainsley Earhart decided to uh, flatter former Vice President Mike Pence when something like this. I want to ask you a question about your faith because we share the same faith, but how do you know 
that that is God calling you because everywhere you go, people love you. How even Democrats love you because you're just a nice, wholesome, good person who does the right thing, and uh, and you're honest. You're honest, but they might not like your politics, but they like who you are and your character. Okay, wait a minute. Seriously? Did you hear what she said to Mike Pence? She said this? People love you. How Even Democrats love you because you're just a nice, wholesome, good person who does the right thing. And, uh, and you're honest. You're honest. Seriously. Now, again, if you're sitting there thinking, well, people watch watching Fox News know better than to fall for that. Well, yeah, a lot of people do. If they're as up-to-date on what's going on as you are, but some people have no idea. And they just love Ainsley because she's just so cute and so sweet and so nice and but, I mean, how can you in good conscience say something like this? People love you. How Even Democrats love you. When the overwhelming majority of Americans don't like this guy, Mike Pence, at all anymore. Because the Democrats never did. Because he was Trump's vice president. And then, of course, the conservatives can't stand him for stabbing us all in the back on January 6, 2021 after promising that our voices would be heard. But Ainsley was like, oh, people just love you. They just love you. So that's uh, that's a little bit of brainwashing there on, on Fox News. Tucker Carlson wouldn't tell Mike Pence people just love you, would he? Jesse Waters wouldn't tell Mike Pence that, would he? Laura Ingram wouldn't. Oh, but Ainsley Earhart. By the way, Ainsley Earhart. Um, so a while back when Mike Wallace was still with Fox News, somebody came on the Fox and Friends morning show and was complaining about Mike Wallace favoring Joe Biden in the debates, in the 2020 debates, and really being unfair to Trump. And Ainsley's response was, well, Mike is part of our family. We like him. Oh, Oh, so that's the way it works now. She did. That's what she said. People just love you. You know, it uh, It can be frustrating. All right, let me give you the latest on the Mar-a-Lago situation. This is not good news for Donald Trump, and it's not good news for our country. The Epic Times, Caden Pearson has it. Appeals court stops special master review of documents seized at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. A federal appeals court on Thursday has put a stop to a special master's external review of the thousands of documents seized from former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. The ruling comes after a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit heard from the Department of Justice and Trump's lawyers 
on November 22nd regarding the government's motion to remove U.S. District Judge Raymond Deary as special master. The appointment of a special master by U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon, a Trump appointee, barred the DOJ from getting their hands on the documents as they pursued a criminal investigation into Trump pending resolution of the review. The federal appeals court ruled that Judge Cannon had no jurisdiction to exercise what's known as equitable jurisdiction or the authority of the court to act in the interest of fairness in this scenario where an indictment hadn't been announced and without showing that the seizure of documents was unlawful. Well, how can they show that? They don't know what all the the stormtroopers took. Anyway, the judges said exercising equitable jurisdiction should only be exceptional and anomalous. They noted that legal precedent had limited this jurisdiction with a four-factor test. Trump's jurisdictional arguments fail all four factors, according to the judges. In their opinion, the judges said they had considered their options either drastically expand the availability of equitable jurisdiction for every subject of a search warrant, carve out an unprecedented exception in the law for former presidents, or apply their usual test. They chose to apply their usual four-factor test, noting that only the narrowest of circumstances permit a district court to invoke equitable jurisdiction and that this was not one of them. The appeals court judges remanded the district court to dismiss Trump's civil action, originally calling for the special master. The appeals court judges wrote, in their opinion, the law is clear. We cannot write a rule that allows any subject of a search warrant to block government investigations after the execution of the warrant, nor can we write a rule that allows only former presidents to do so. Either approach would be a radical reordering of our case law limiting the federal court's involvement in criminal investigations, and both would violate bedrock separation of powers limitations. Really? Well, Jack Smith, recently appointed special counsel, given the task of leading the investigation into whether the former president violated the Espionage Act and other federal laws through the handling of certain records, including papers with secret markings, brought the appeals court challenge. DOJ is looking into any obstruction of justice by Trump as well as any legal violations involving the removal of White House records. Trump's legal team has claimed executive privilege over some of the documents while contending that others were personal papers rather than official records and that he had the authority to classify them as such as the outgoing president. In other words, to declassify this stuff. Okay. The former president has described the FBI raid as prosecutorial misconduct, the weaponization of the justice system, and an attack by radical left Democrats who desperately don't want him to run for president in 2024. He has also denied 
any wrongdoing. Judge Deary, who was acting as the special master, was scheduled to complete his review to determine what seized materials should be off limits to investigators in December. Well, I mean, okay, so at this point, I would hope that Trump's attorneys would appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court almost immediately. You know, because this is outrageous. This is a serious abuse of power. The judges are just acting like, well, you know, I mean, they didn't take anything they shouldn't have taken. We just can take their word for, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. When they clearly did. They clearly did take things they shouldn't have taken. And as the great Julie Kelly has stated, clearly, the courts absolutely refuse to give a sliver of oversight to this rogue DOJ and this rogue FBI, just a rubber stamp with the exception of Judge Cannon. This entire matter gets buried now at Jack Smith's office. She says, my favorite part is a solemn fealty to the idea of separation of powers. It's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. They couldn't care less about the separation of powers. All right, now, I guess... I guess it's that time of the show to say, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. And so here it is, our tweet of the day, the great Vody Bauckham Jr. with a really inspirational, encouraging video embedded in this tweet. There is no wealth like being in the presence of Yahweh. So anything outside of his presence is the land of my affliction. I am looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. And until I get there, wherever I live is the land of my affliction. This is not my home. This is not as good as it gets. This is the land of my affliction, but I'm doing everything in my power to be a blessing to this land because it's where God has me right now. Heaven is our home. But in the meantime, we man our post. 
Ghost and advance the kingdom wherever the Lord has called us to be. But never getting too comfortable because wherever it is, no matter how good it may be, at the end of the day, it is the land of our affliction. All right. Do you know what he's talking about? I looked it up, and I want to share it with you. You remember the story in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis about Joseph's coat of many colors? Remember that? And how his brothers envied him because they knew that he was dad's favorite and how they were going to kill him but one of the brothers talked him out of killing him. And uh, instead, they wound up selling him into slavery. Wound up in Egypt. And eventually, um, wound up in jail because a woman falsely accused him of something. I think you probably heard the story. Maybe some people haven't. But I'm giving you the Cliff's notes uh, to set the stage for where we are coming up to Genesis chapter 41. And that's where we're going to see the phrase, the land of my affliction, okay? So it goes something like this. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, and the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing up on one stalk, and behold, after them spouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears of corn. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream, so in the morning... His spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. He said, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, 
We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Well, that's not a good place to be. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile, Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt, and the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. O-N-E, they are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears of corn blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe." And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming 
and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second son he called Ephraim. He said, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Remember that. That goes back to the little video clip I played for you of Vody Bauckham Jr. I'm going to play it again here in a minute. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. 
So he named one of his sons Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Have you you ever felt like you weren't where you wanted to be in your life? Have you ever felt like that you were somewhat in the land of affliction and you cried out to God and asked him to deliver you from the affliction? And maybe he did and maybe he didn't. Maybe he healed you of the affliction. Maybe he delivered you of the affliction or maybe as in the case of Joseph, he began to prosper in the land of his affliction. You know what I'm saying? I tell you what. Pardon. It's important to look to God's word to help us to understand how to deal with this old life, how to become more like he wants us to be. In Paul's second letter to his protege, Timothy, in the third verse, pardon me, in the third chapter, 16th verse, he said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So let me run it by you again. It's less than a minute long. The great speaker, Vody Bauckham Jr., talking about the land of my affliction. There is no wealth like being in the presence of Yahweh. So anything outside of his presence is the land of my affliction. I am looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. And until I get there, wherever I live is the land of my affliction. This is not my home. This is not as good as it gets. This is the land of my affliction, but I'm doing everything in my power to be a blessing to this land because it's where God has me right now. Heaven is our home. But in the meantime, we man our post and advance the kingdom wherever the Lord has called us to be, but never getting too comfortable because wherever it is, no matter how good it may be, I'm reminded of a song that apparently was written a couple of hundred years ago, and a lot of different people have done their own versions of it. It says, I'm a poor, wayfaring stranger traveling through this world of woe. And there's no sickness, no toil or danger in that fair land to which I go. I'm going there to meet my father. I'm going there no more to Rome. I'm only going over Jordan 
I'm only going over home. I know dark clouds will gather round me. I know my way will be rough and steep. But golden fields lie out before me where all the saints their vigils keep. I'm going there to meet my mother. I'm going there no more to roam. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. As the great Vody Barkham Jr. would say, Amen, somebody. Amen, somebody. You've been listening to episode 294 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washington Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. Bam, that's the way it is. Thursday, December 1st, 2022.